0: Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away: The Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit chantelrayway.com/podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching and inner circle Facebook group. Remember the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice.
1: Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Rayway on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com coaching. As always, enjoy the show.
0: Hey guys, welcome to today's episode, and I'm so excited about today's podcast guest. It's Kristen Savory. Did I say that right, Kristen?
2: Yep, it's Kristen Savory. Okay,
0: and I've been a big fan of her podcast. I just started listening it, and so I'm so excited that she agreed to come on today's show. Tell everyone the podcast that you're running, Kristen. What is it? The podcast is named Thyroid. Yeah, so very simple which is perfect.
2: easy to look up, very simple to search. Um, I'm an acupuncturist. I specialize in uh, helping women find balance with their thyroid so that their hormones can actually balance
0: themselves. Awesome. And so I think I've done acupuncture one time. I did like it. I just, you know, my schedule's kind of crazy. So I just haven't been been back, but you know, everyone thinks, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be poked with all these needles, but it didn't hurt at all. Do you think that it does?
2: Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I don't find that it hurts at all. There are various different styles of acupuncture, just like various different styles of massage. Um, Some acupuncturists, focus more on a Chinese style with typically uses um, thicker needles and a little heavier sensation. And other acupuncturists like myself work with thinner needles. We're more concerned with the practitioner feeling that the chi is starting to open and spread versus the client actually feeling that strong sensation that something is changing. And now tell everyone, what is your website? It's, what is your website? Yeah, my website is kristinsavory.com and Kristen is K-R-I-S. T I N and savory is S A V O R Y. Got it. And
0: so you you've got kind of a pharmacy, if you will, on your your website with all kinds of natural supplements. And um, talk about that for just a second, because you know it's funny because I was talking to my mom the other day, and you know I do intermittent fasting and you know, I've just been trying all these new supplements. I went to Whole Foods and I got a few supplements. It was, um, some selenium and some other things. And as soon as I took it, um, normally I wait until my eating window before I take supplements. But for whatever reason, I did it in the morning. And I was like, I literally got nauseous, um, because I, I hadn't eaten anything, Now the natural supplement, and there was, you know, I was, my mom said, you know, look on the back of some of these supplements. They've got so much, you know, stuff in them, if you will. Um, So with the natural supplements, do you have, do they have a lot of, like, what's your favorite and do they have a lot of, you know, things as far as, you know, just like magnesium stearate? What are some of the things that make you nauseous? This
2: is such a great question and I feel like almost every single client that comes through my door or through my computer, (laughs) um, nearly every single person that comes to me to work with me, we have to address this topic at some point. The nutritional information out there, and specifically the information regarding supplements, is pretty misleading in our culture and i think what tends to happen is that we forget that the supplement industry is an industry like anything else right it they need to sell a product they need to figure out where people are suffering and how they can make a change to help people feel good so what's happened in that dynamic is that there's a lot of people that have come into or a lot of companies that have come into the supplement industry and they're more concerned with selling a product than really understanding biochemical health.
0: Well, and the thing is, you know, one of the things my mom said, which was just so smart, she's like, I go for whole food vitamins so that when when you're buying a vitamin or when you're buying something, you want to make sure that it's food. Like it's it's a whole food vitamin. So they literally like extract it and they put it into a vitamin, but it's actually food. So if you think about it, if it's food, it shouldn't be making you nauseous. So if you take a vitamin and it makes you nauseous, my first thing is is like, okay, what kind of, you know, extra add-ons are in here that that's making me nauseous, right?
2: So good, so good. So what your mom is really kind of bringing up for you is keep it simple. As close if we can stay as close to nature as possible, remembering that our bodies are nature. If we can keep what we put into our system as close to nature as possible, the results will be tremendous. Our system will be able to assimilate those nutrients the best, as well as make the best use of those nutrients. And what typically happens is that there is a common assumption that with vitamins, that these vitamins are kind of magically extracted from food and then they're put together in a capsule. And that's kind of kind of a story that has developed without fact and it's really developed out of marketing practices. Gotcha. So, so we have this assumption that taking vitamin C is a natural supplement, right? When actually vitamin C is a chemical synthetic that is processed in a in a factory. Right. So my preference is really leaning toward whole food concentrates, is what we call them. When you look at the back of a label, you'll see um, ingredients like pea vine or alfalfa or nutritional yeast. Rarely will you see on the label something like mixed tocopherols, um, vitamin B in the form of niacin, vitamin C as ascorbic acid. Those are kind of chemical constituents that um, the brands that I carry veer away from that and they veer more towards food. So are, are all of your ones that you have on your website,
0: do are they whole food based?
2: Yes. And I'm really glad that you use that term whole food based because as we know, because of um, government regulations, and everything that goes into keeping things safe for for our society, no company can be purely whole food, right? They have certain regulations. Like, there has to be X percentage of vitamin C in the form of ascorbic acid so that you can call it a vitamin C supplement. So they have certain regulations that everybody has to kind of perform to. I mean, yeah, I believe the company that does the best job at this in keeping um, their whole food concentrates as pure as possible, and also having them at a clinical quality, which is very different than just kind of randomly taking something over the counter, is mm-hmm. Standard Process. Say it again. You broke up right there. It's called Standard Process. Standard, Standard Process. That's
0: the name of the vitamins. Gotcha. All right, well, let's jump right into the questions. This first one is Carol in Florida. Uh, This says, I struggle with Hashimoto's and as a result have major digestive issues. I've read that the reason for this is that I'm not producing enough hydrochloric acid. Is this something I can supplement or is there any sort of enzymes that I can take to aid with my digestion? And this is Carol in Florida, but we did get another person that kind of had the same question. Um, and she was asking almost like this, but she also added in that she got one of those alkaline water machines and she felt like since she's been taking alkaline water, her she's been getting worse. So that was another question that we didn't put on here, but and I can't even remember who it was from, but it was very similar to this question. So kind of two questions. One is... Can she supplement, uh, Is there any kind of enzymes that she can supplement to aid with her digestion? And talk about hydrochloric acid for just a second.
2: Yeah, great question. So Carol, I, I love it when clients can make that connection just already within themselves that she's noticing because of her Hashimoto's or in relationship to the Hashimoto's and how her endocrine system is functioning today, that she's noticing digestive stress. It's great that she can make that connection. So good job, Carol, on that. And then taking it from there, whenever there is a low-functioning thyroid, and so a low-functioning thyroid in a blood test, that will look like a high TSH level. When a person's thyroid is low-function, by definition, they do not produce enough hydrochloric acid that is just a regular kind of standby. Regardless of why that thyroid is not, is not functioning at its best, it will produce less hydrochloric acid. So often, Carol and maybe some of Carol's friends might feel that with their Hashimoto's diagnosis or a low functioning thyroid, that they might also find that they have a whole bunch of food allergies, mm. right? And then they might start going ahead and eliminating those foods. Well, the problem is not that is not in the foods. The problem is really that their digestive system is not supported enough from the endocrine system. So I believe that the best way to address this is symptomatically, yes, take in hydrochloric acid so that food starts digesting in their stomach more efficiently that takes a lot of stress out of the liver and the gallbladder. So, the critical- so,
0: so is there a difference? Let's, let's talk to people about the difference between hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me just back up one minute before we move on to that, though. Uh-huh. What is critical in terms of Carol's case, we could go ahead and give her hydrochloric acid and that would take care of her symptoms but does it take care of why the problem started at the beginning? No. Right. It doesn't. So on one hand, we wanna give her hydrochloric acid so that we take care of what her initial problem is, but we still need to give her endocrine support. We still need to give her something that is supporting the thyroid gland in relationship to her pituitary, her adrenal glands, as well as her pancreas or maybe her ovaries. Okay. So, so when they, when someone's
0: going to eat, so like I, I think that, you know, there's tons out there about digestive enzymes and stuff like that. So, uh, well, one, one question that we have gotten in the past, a, a, we have a lot of people ask this is, is if I take digestive enzymes, is my body going, to, like let's say at every meal, I take some digestive enzymes, is that going to make it where my body is not going to be able to process that food without the digestive enzymes? What's your opinion on that?
2: Yeah, another really good question. That is the trickiest piece about supplementing and why I usually recommend that nobody supplements by themselves, okay? Okay. I really believe that we can get into a biochemical quagmire if we take care of our own uh, supplement needs. Because what we're looking at over the long term is pacing. And what we don't want to have happen is that the system starts to rely on the supplement to perform the body's function. So what we're looking at when we do supplement, whether that is endocrine support, hydrochloric acid support, or enzyme support, we're looking to wake something up in the body so that your body can then start to perform the function by itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, we're walking around with crutches, like for the rest of our lives. And no, Mm -hmm. they might not be crutches that go underneath the arms, but they're crutches that we're taking daily.
0: Right. And so Hydrochloric acid is just a supplement that you could get at Whole Foods or online or on your site. And literally, would you suggest that if someone's having digestive issues for a little while that they should be, what would you recommend, the hydrochloric acid or the digestive enzymes? Which one?
2: I generally lean towards the hydrochloric acid first. And there's a really good reason for this. It depends case by case in terms of what is happening for that particular person. But often I like to start things as, as um, high up in the system as I can. So instead of wiping out a problem all completely, I wanna give the support as early as I can. When I give hydrochloric acid as support, I'm taking care of food being digested in the stomach, right? So if food is digested properly in the stomach, then I'm kind of providing a window of opportunity for the liver, the gallbladder, and the pancreas to respond in a healthier way, which will then provide the enzyme support for the small intestine.
0: Yeah, it does. So what I'm hearing you say is that if you're, when you take that hydrochloric acid, a lot of people who have these thyroid issues and digestive issues, they're not able to digest that food in the stomach because there's no digestive enzymes and you don't have that hydrochloric acid in your stomach to digest it. So now, because of that, now your liver is working in overdrive, your gallbladder is working in overdrive, your pancreas is working in overdrive because. Your stomach didn't digest the food, and let's stop for just a second. One of my one of my areas that I have got to work on, and it's it's one of my principles in my book that I talk about. And but I will tell you, it's the one principle I don't do well with is slowing down, and really, I just you know that digestion. So much of it happens when you're chewing your food. And so if you're just eating as fast as you can and it's bringing it down, your stomach doesn't have teeth. So it can't, you know, you've got that, it can digest from that hydrochloric acid. But if you're low on that hydrochloric acid, you've got issues there. Um, but talk about that for just a second about the digestion that happens while you're chews- chewing.
2: Yeah. So, um, so actually, I'd like to even backtrack it a little further because digestion actually starts at the first thought of food. Right. So, so even beyond the actual physical mechanics of chewing and, and getting even in, into that process, as soon as you have the thought, I'm hungry, there's something that I'd like to eat, right from that instant, the neurotransmitters in your system start firing differently, and you start producing different neurotransmitters to begin to support the digestive process. So you're right on the money in terms of slowing down, because often most people just sort of grab food out of habit, out of really knowing what their system wants. And a lot of times it's around convenience. It's not necessarily around- uh, What your body is craving- Exactly. Exactly. And so then we start to um, kind of get into these neurotransmitter ruts, right, where we're constantly reaching for the same type of comfort foods, or foods that just get us out of a tight bind. Maybe, maybe we've got a lot on our schedule, we don't really have the time to sneak lunch in. And so we're kind of finding a workaround around it. And then we get in, and then we choose that same convenient food or craving food or comfort food to get us out of that tight wedge. So as far as the
0: hydrochloric acid, you know, what's funny about that is if you go to like Whole Foods or any of these places, like, you know, you you always see all this stuff about digestive enzymes and stuff like that. Um, but you don't, you know, you don't see a lot of um, hydrochloric acid like... like pill, you know what I mean? When you're, when you're going there. And so, um, there's something called HCL with pepsin. Um, and then there's, so just talk about like, where do you, where do you get this hydrochloric acid? How much do you take? Do you take it with every meal? Talk about that for just a second. And what is this HCL with pepsin? Right,
2: right, right. So,
0: and there's the there's another one called betaine HCL. So
2: talk yeah, about yeah. that. My preference is for the betaine hydrochloric acid. And essentially what that is, is that that's a hydrochloric acid that's coming from a cow. And it's really, um, it's, it's in the closest biochemical form that we can have to our own body. So that's definitely my, proce- my, my, uh, my preference. But um, it kind of goes back to that initial answer where the supplement industry, it, it's an industry. So they're looking to sell products um, just like any other industry, and they sort of have to kind of keep current with what's the new edge, what's going to make my product look different or stand out on the shelf. There's a lot of misconceptions around hydrochloric acid, especially from the um, the medical industry, where there's the idea that too much acid will cause reflux. Mm. And so a lot of companies have added ingredients like pepsin to serve as a coating. Right.
0: So would you say you wouldn't recommend the pepsin?
2: No, it's unnecessary. It's not, um, that's not the issue at all. So
0: when, when you say betaine b-e-t-a-i-n-e-h-c-l that is the one that's coming from the cow
2: yeah it's just the purest form betaine the purest is the form. Form.
0: so if you see something that just says hydrochloric acid but it doesn't say betaine hydrochloric acid then you know that that's so your your, your ideal
2: one is the betaine h-c-l you can assume that that is the one that's closest to nature.
0: And would you say five hundred milligrams? Would you
2: like at, when you're done eating? Would you take one of those, or you know, coming from the whole food perspective, we're not as concerned with dosage as what they are in the synthetic, the synthetic supplement realm. The synthetic supplement realm has really organized itself around daily values, percentages, and milligrams. And from a whole food perspective, we're looking at what is, what is coming from nature, what's already in, what is, um, you know, what's in a beet, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't break that down because as you and I both know, the nutritional value of a beet in February is different than the nutritional value of a beet in, in the summer, right? So it's not a standard, it's not a uh, controlled percent of daily value. So when we're looking at whole food concentrates, I really recommend that people follow the label. And again, especially when working with alternative practitioners, or even when working with our own biochemistry, it's quite often for the American personality to come into play and think that more is better. Mm.
0: That's kind of, that's, yeah. that's one of my problems. I like to, like my mom jokes me sometimes because she'll be like, if it says take two vitamins, you'll take three. If it says take one, you'll take two. Um, which is not necessarily better, which is absolutely the case. Well, that is really, really helpful. And I, I would be interested to see, Carol, if you try... Um, this betaine HCL or hydrochloric acid, if it does well for you. And and does that help with your thyroid problems and slowing down um, and setting those timers to kind of go, okay, I've got to chew slowly. I've got to chew in my mouth. I have to digest my food. So
2: that's awesome. The only thing that I would add for Carol is to go ahead and bring in that betaine support but then let's also make sure that she has either a product like Simplex F or Paraplex from Standard Process to help give that endocrine support so that eventually we can drop the hydrochloric acid, have her endocrine system functioning better on its own, and potentially begin to start to shift if she's on. So, she's on other- so say, those, say that one more time with those
0: two, two items.
2: Yeah, so there's two products from Standard Process. These two products are far superior to anything else that I've seen on the market. Okay. One is called Simplex F, and that is for women who are of childbearing years. So women who are menstruating, they need Simplex F. It's a glandular formula. It has in it pituitary, thyroid, adrenals, and ovaries because they are of the childbearing years. Those are the four main glands that are working together to provide most of the hormonal input in the system. So what would you say to someone who was like maybe
0: between 40 and 45? Because kind of between 40 and 45, you know, women are in that transition period. What would you say for those women?
2: As long as they're still in the transition period and haven't gone through nine months without having their period, I would still encourage them to be with the Simplex app. Okay. Once they make that transition and, they, um, and they're nine months out from their last cycle, then I would move them over to a different product that's called Paraplex by Standard Process. That has in it the pituitary thyroid, adrenals, and then it has pancreas instead of ovaries. What happens as a woman moves closer and closer towards menopause, not cycling in the same way, the ovaries actually atrophy a little bit. It's not that the ovaries aren't as important or don't play an endocrine role, but the ovaries kind of move more towards the background and the pancreas and your blood sugar levels become even more important in the menopausal years. Awesome. Hey, guys, I'm so excited that
0: my new book, Waste Away, The Chantel Rayway, is now available on Amazon, Barnes and & Noble, and pretty much anywhere you can find books. But we also have the audiobook, the ebook, and my new recipe book that you can download all the recipes that I love that I make. And it's super cheap. It's all my favorites. Anyway, if you have a minute to write a review on Amazon, I would be ever grateful. Well, um, you, this is another question. It's from Angela in Rochester. She says, you've mentioned before in another podcast that taking my basal body temperature is the best way to check my thyroid, but I haven't found an affordable thermometer for this. What is the big difference in using a normal thermometer to take my temperature and checking my basal temperature? You said that morning temperature is most accurate, so I've been sticking to this.
2: And what was her name in Rochester? Angela. 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 I actually am. I'm from the Buffalo area. So I have, I have even more love for this question. (laughs) So that's a great question. Angela, I try to keep everything as simple as possible for my clients. I really am not interested in life being a hurdle. So, you can get specific basal body temperature uh, thermometers, but I don't think that that's important. I am happy for people to be using a regular thermometer the reason
0: but 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 honestly, like her question's a little strange Angela and forgive me if I mean like I just went on my phone to go on Amazon and you can get a clinical basal thermometer for like eighteen dollars on Amazon so I don't know where she's looking of where the prices are, but I mean, you can get one from 18 to $25. And, and you know, another question, yeah, another question we get is basically to expand is saying, what is the difference? We between- first start with that. What's the difference between a normal thermometer and a basal one? So start with that, Kristen.
2: Yeah, a basal body um, temperature thermometer, it's actually, it's, it's an old mercury thermometer. So when you think of those old school thermometers that I grew up with, I don't know, you're a little bit younger than me. So so um, those old school thermometers, uh, the glass ones with the mercury in them, that's a, that's a basal body thermometer. Our newer thermometers, they operate a little bit differently, and so those ones are, are um Uh, because of how they're reading them, it's just not quite the same. But for me, that piece is not so important because what we're really looking at over time is what those readings are over time. So as long as we're using the same tool and not switching back and forth, we're still getting a scientific read. So again, in interest of keeping it as simple and easy, cost-effective for people, I usually tell them, use whatever thermometer you have at home because that will still... Well, well,
0: and and you're right. Like if they want to get one of those mercury thermometers with the basal body temperature, but really, you know, now they have digital basal thermometers and the digital basal thermometers, basically the main difference is really that the body temperature... They do it by tenths of a degree. So instead of like a regular thermometer saying your your temperature is 97.3 or whatever, they're now saying it's 97 point, you know, like instead of just 97, they might say like 97.05 or, you know, whatever it is.
2: It's to a hundredth of a degree. Yeah, a hundredth of a degree, yeah. What happens automatically within that thermometer is that it'll take that hundredth and it'll round it up or round it down for us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but don't you agree that the, that just using one of those digital basal thermometers, it's so much easier to read
2: and doing it in the morning. In my opinion, it is. And that's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily push people towards getting those old school thermometers. It's just simple. It's timed. Um, technically the reading's supposed to be under the armpit. Forget that. You know, that's just awkward for people. Are they getting it in the right position? You know, is the arm folded over enough? It just makes it too complicated. Take it as normal under the tongue and continue to track, continue to track your readings so that that becomes our scientific curve.
0: And wouldn't you agree you need to do it right like the Before you get up to go to the bathroom, like literally stick it next to your bed. And the minute you wake up, you literally grab it and stick it in your mouth is the most accurate.
2: As soon as you activate your adrenal glands and activate your metabolism, which you do as soon as you stand up, you will get a different read. So to get the most accurate read before even going to the bathroom, you just woke up from your dream, you know. And go ahead and take. And what do you think
0: those numbers need to be? And and you know, obviously, taking a blood test is is the best way to do it. Um, but but if you were going to do it via the temperature, and I think I personally think it's very accurate. These uh, for me anyway, it matches kind of my blood readings for sure when I do it. But when you're waking up in the morning. What would you say? So again, it's got to be the second you you d- wake up, don't go to the bathroom, don't do anything. What would those readings be if you would say if it's between this and this, you might want to get blood work and and there's a possible thyroid issue. What would you say they are?
2: Yeah, again, I'd like to I'd like to look at an average when doing that because that average will kind of shift per person. And again, when looking at that average, we really need to know where the woman is in her cycle, because like what you, like from your experience, your temperature is going to drop significantly around ovulation. So I don't want that.
0: And that's what women do. That's what women have done years ago to figure out, are they ovulating or not? Right?
2: Totally, totally. And they'll spend a whole bunch of money on those ovulation kits and um and
0: you don't necessarily need to
2: you don't necessarily need to especially after you track um especially after you're tracking at least for a month or two depending on how um
0: so look we're saving everyone money right now no one needs to go if you want to figure out you're trying to have a baby. Um, And you want to do this. And honestly, you know, I've known people to use this method instead of using condoms and birth control because, you know, birth control has gotten such a bad rap now of all, you know, how bad it is for you. And you could literally uh, use this method for, for keeping pregnant. So let's first talk about that for just a second. For those people who are trying, let's just say they're trying to get pregnant, what would that temperature look like if they're, when they are ovulating?
2: Right. So we really like, you know, we'd like that basal body temperature to be around 90, 97.8, right? I mean, that's, that's ideal, once the temperature starts dropping down towards 97.6, 97.5, that's okay for a waking temperature, but if we're getting down towards the 97.3s, 97.2s, that's, the, that's a cause for me to go ahead and do um, not necessarily be aggressive, but to start providing direct support or request somebody to go get testing, Okay. Now, when we're looking at a basal body temperature chart, especially in terms of women who are wanting to get pregnant, we're looking for day one through 14 to be at a certain level, probably around 97.6 is what we're looking at, okay? And we like that line to be pretty even. So maybe on a day it's 97.5, maybe on another day it's 97.6, maybe on another day it's 97.7, but it's not all over the place. And then so around-
0: if it if it is all over the place what is that saying to you
2: yeah that's indicative of, of some type of endocrine disruption or even a complication with the liver not processing the hormones as efficiently as it could
0: hmm gotcha
2: yeah so it starts to kind of expand out a little bit because it's not just the endocrine system that is making processing and
0: so, if someone is looking to, um, if someone's looking to say, "Oh, am I ovulating or not?" Would you say around that ninety-seven point three? Uh, you would say that that might be where they would be ovulating
2: during that time. Yes. Now, so around day twelve, day day fourteen-ish, any time in there if we see a significant drop, it could go 97.3, 97.2. That is likely a sign that that is a day of ovulation.
0: So that's really important. That's really important because you need to know, am I ovulating or is my thyroid acting up? Right? So you really need to be, you know, that's such a great point because we need to go, we need to be measuring your temperature, not just for one day and going, okay, and it's 97.3, my thyroid's off, right? I need to see, am, am I ovulating? And how many days are is a woman looking like they're
2: ovulating for? I'm sorry, I missed that question.
0: So, so the ovulation standard in a woman is approximately how many days?
2: Yeah, well, ovulation itself will kind of last over two days or so, right? And so there's a little bit of a lead up before it and then a little bit of like action during it. So in terms of getting pregnant, we're looking at a three to five day window around that time period. And bear in mind that if a woman's trying to get pregnant, that sperm itself can live within within. Um, within the body for a few days as well. So that window can kind of expand towards five days.
0: Oh my gosh, I have to tell you this story. This is <laughs> going to be really random, but it was... So I was at a party this Saturday. Okay, this is this is crazy. So I, I was talking, you know, someone had introduced me to this person and I said, hi, I'm Chantel. And, you know, he gave me his name. And I said, he said, we were talking about our families and he said, well, I have two kids and then I have two turkey baster kids. And I said, excuse me? And he said, yeah. He said, I had a friend of mine that was a lesbian and she wanted to get pregnant. And so what we did is we made sure that she was ovulating and I ejaculated in a cup and I took we took a turkey baster And literally, on the day she was ovulating, she inserted, you know, I left the room. She inserted it, and she got pregnant instantly, you know, several weeks later, found out she was pregnant, and then they did it a year later, and the first time, they literally did it, he ejaculated in a cup, they took the turkey baster, inserted it, and they got pregnant. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I was freaking out. I was just like, oh my gosh. And I'm thinking all these people are spending all this money. They're spending all this money on, you know, thirty thousand dollars. I'm thinking, these people need to go
2: get a cup and a turkey paste. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that can go on case by case, but um but it is, it's modern times. There's so many different ways that babies can come to us these days. It's it's great.
0: It's crazy. All right, well, let's move on. This is Allison in Iowa. One of my really good friends became vegetarian, and her thyroid seems to be improving. She says this has to do with the hormones in the meat. Have you heard of people successfully healing their thyroid by cutting out meat? And if so, why does it work?
2: Well, I really believe this is a short-term solution, not a long-term solution, And probably what's happening for her is that her system is detoxifying with the increased vegetable load and the decrease of meat, especially if it is processed, if those animals are eating hormones and they're getting a lot of antibiotics and they're having a lot of vaccinations and stuff like that. Um, So yes, the quality of how the animal is fed will translate to the meat. And then as we eat that, will translate towards us.
0: So let me ask you this. What, what, what is your diet, Kristen? Like, are you, do you do paleo? Do you do vegetarian? Are you vegan? What, what do you feel best doing?
2: I'm an everything more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means that like an omnivore, or an herbivore or something like that. I really do eat everything. I really, Mm -hmm. really do. I don't like um, putting limitations on. on, on So in my book, I talk
0: about don't deprive yourself. So you're definitely not depriving yourself. And you're very, you're very thin, Kristen.
2: Yeah, I am. am,
0: Can you share with us how much you weigh?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, you know, I'm about five foot five and a half. And I weigh about 115 pounds. I have a very slight frame. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am blessed in that cultural way, but I'm also 46 years old and my hormones have been shifting over the years. And my system is um, is very sensitive to what I eat and I can gain weight very quickly. So instead of depriving myself, I do like to keep a few things just in the back of my mind. And what feels good in my body and generally what I kind of uh, encourage people to move towards is um, more vegetables, less sugar. Mm -hmm. And, And that doesn't have to be like a solid rule, like day in, day out or anything like that. It's almost the same as how we were talking about taking your temperature. Kind of have this like bigger view of your food world. You know, you should be able to go out with your girlfriends and have a drink on Friday night. You should be able to go to a company party and have a dessert. Mm-hmm. But when you look at your week, are you having that dessert every single every day? Right. Right. Yeah. And for me, if I were to have that dessert every single day, I would definitely put on five pounds, and then I would start to not feel so good about myself, and my mood would probably change, and I would probably like scream at my kids, and maybe get in a tussle with my husband, and all of that would start to happen. And then if I just come back to looking at that overall view, for me again, more vegetables. That is like... I, I'll tell you, nobody eats enough vegetables. Not even a vegetarian. <laughs> they don't, right? Yeah. So moving more and more towards vegetables. And then now, how
0: is your thyroid? How is your thyroid doing? Are you taking anything for your thyroid, or does your thyroid function at high peaks?
2: Yeah. You know, um, my thyroid used to be a total mess. Uh, 16 years ago was a time in my life that it was very hard to get out of bed. Mm. Um, it took me about four years to really understand what was happening and how to work with it. At that time, 16 years ago, I was actually taking a slew of what I didn't realize was synthetic supplements. Um Once I got off of those supplements and came back more to a Whole Foods approach, that is when I really started to see the shift. It took me about a year to put everything together once I kind of wrapped my head around what was happening. And since then, I've been off all medications. And I'm actually, these days, I'm functioning very well being on minimal supplementation.
0: Hmm. Well, this brings me to the next question. It's Carrie in Williamsburg. She says, I was just talking to my mom the other day and we were talking about how it seems like there's a sudden onset of thyroid issues these days until the past five to 10 years. Neither of us remember it being so common to have thyroid issues. What is our culture doing to cause so many thyroid issues all of a sudden? And it seems like an epidemic. What do you think? I mean, I agree with this, Carrie. I, I, I'm glad you asked this question, but it is, it's, it's out of control and why we're getting so, I'm so glad you came on the show because we're just getting, we have had a couple people talk about thyroid on the show, but we just keep getting more and more and more and more questions coming in, in the onslaught about thyroid, thyroid, thyroid.
2: I do think that there's two pieces to this component. I do think that we live in a time where there's so much awareness. And I, and I think that that is great because people are starting to advocate for themselves and they're becoming more involved in their health questions and how they're choosing to navigate their health solutions. So I do believe that with increased testing, There is more awareness. Now, we also cannot deny the fact that we live in a very chemical-oriented culture. So everything from buying our sheets to the carpets on our floor to new cars, there are halogens that are in our environment to a degree that have not been in our environment before. Halogens is... It's actually a chemical term. I don't know if you can go back to your 7th grade science class. You learned about that one row of chemicals called halogens, iodine, chlorine, bromine. They're all in the same field. Mm. There's so much chlorine and so much bromine in our environment these days um, from the fire retardants, things that are put on our mattresses, the chemicals that go on our sheets. to um, uh, Even in the clothing,
0: some of the clothing that they're bringing from China and all this stuff, you know, has a lot of that, this yeah. stuff in it.
2: And so what happens is that our thyroid cannot tell the difference between iodine and, and bromine. and and chlorine and so it binds to those halogens instead of binding to the iodine and our thyroid needs a significant amount of iodine to be able to function as well as it can so so that's a complicating factor also i think if you look at our um our food resources right that that the amount of sugar in the average American diet these days is probably about 10 times more than what it used to be. Right? Yeah. We're getting sugar in salad dressing. You wouldn't even think that that's, that that is something to be concerned about. Um, There, I had a client who came back to me and she was like, I've been buying these frozen peas for years and I just read the label and they had sugar. They had sugar in them mm-hmm. as a preservative. So it's even mm-hmm. things that we don't even think about checking, right? right, Absolutely. And it, it's
0: even with the, um, you know, one of the things, you know, that I say, I think carrageenan is a, is, is terrible for your gut and I try to stay away from it as much as possible but a lot of these like organic almond milks they're filled with like carrageen and you know so, like even like you know a kind bar I won't eat a kind bar because it has soy lectin in it and you know soy and lectins I mean these are things that are not great for your body so It's just a matter of really looking at what you're eating and looking at all of the ingredients. All right, Kara in Atlanta says, I've recently switched from Synthroid to Armour Thyroid and I got this nasty rash all over my chest and neck. I'm racking my brain to find out what is going on. And the only thing I can figure out is my medication switch or just my thyroid in general, because every issue I've been seemed to have is related back to this darn thyroid. Have you ever heard of a rash before concerning your thyroid and what is causing it?
2: Yes. Now, this is actually a very complicated question. I would love to see her um, working with me in some capacity. So um, what could be happening, and this, again, would be a case-by-case kind of situation. What could be happening is, depending on what was going on her thyroid in the first place, when we are on levothyroxine, all we're doing is dumping T4 into the system, okay? T4 has to be converted to T3 to be effective, okay? So I don't know whether that Levo was actually supporting her thyroid or not. It really depends on where the breakdown was in her endocrine system as well as in her liver. And that would be something I would have to ask more questions for. When she made the switch over to Armour, and Armour is my preferenced Western medical medication to start with, Okay. When she made the switch over to... to Do you have a preference between Armour and Nature Throid? Yes. Nature Nature Throid. Yeah.
0: Nature Throid you'd prefer.
2: Yeah. But when she made the switch over to Armour, she's giving her system and her thyroid more of a glandular support. So there's going to be T3. There's going to be T4. There's also going to be calcitonin in that... In that medication when her endocrine gland gets healthier and in this case her thyroid as that gets healthier she will actually instigate a detoxification process in her body so she could be starting to actually move toxins as her system is getting healthier and that is expressing itself as a rash. So I would have to know timeline, how long is this going on for, what is helping the rash feel better, what is the qualities around the rash, so that I can get a better idea. Is her system detoxifying or is she having a reaction?
1: Hey guys, thanks for tuning into today's podcast. Now we actually didn't get through all the questions that we wanted to in today's episode. So we're gonna go ahead and make this part number one and part number two will be coming out next week, same time, same place, Thursday here on the podcast. Anyway, let's roll the regular outro.